And if you remain standing now as we read God's word together, these words from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Let us read these words together. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is our fourth week in a series simply titled, If. Uh, it's a series based on Mark Batterson's book by the same title, and we've been learning for the last four weeks about how to trade our if only, how to trade our regrets, those things that are holding us back, how to trade those things for God's what if, for God's possibility in our lives, because our God is our creator. He, he put into our lives all of these possibilities for us. He knows each and every opportunity that he has placed in our life, and we have an option to choose those possibilities that God has for us. Uh, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. It might help guide you through this conversation as we spend some time talking about God's possibilities. I want to recap really fast what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And if you've missed uh, any sermon these last three weeks in this series, I invite you to go check it out. Um, you can see all of our lear- most of our sermons online at acts2umc.org and click the watch and listen link there. Uh, we learned the first uh, week about regret and what that looks like in our life. And we talked about how when we get to the end of our life, regret looks a little different than we thought it would. That our greatest regret will be the things that we didn't do, but wish we had. Our greatest regret at the end of our life will be the things that we didn't do, but wish we had. That's what we learned the first week. Uh, The next week, we learned to live as if the Spirit, it lives in us. That God's Spirit, God's power dwells in us. And we have all of these possibilities, all these opportunities in our lives, all of this power in our lives. All we have to do is live as simply if it is true. If it is true, friends. So we were invited to consider that uh, just two weeks ago. And then last week, uh, Pastor Mark shared with us to consider what if God was really for us? What if God was really for us? Because God is. God is always for you. God God is always loving towards you. God is always for you. And again, simply we have to believe it. We have to live into those possibilities that God has for us. And we were also invited to consider a God-sized dream in our life last week. A God-sized dream. to, To dream of something that only God can do in your life. And what would that look like? And what is that thing that that only God can do in your life? And what's that thing that God is encouraging you to do for your life? These have been the things we've been encouraged to consider for the last few weeks. And uh, tonight, I simply want to ask a question. And and it sounds kind of absurd, but just stick with me just for a little bit. Uh, I want to ask, do you feel that you have direction but no purpose? Do you feel that you have direction but no purpose? 
Maybe a different way to ask this question is, do you feel you're always at the whim of the tyranny of the urgent? Do you feel like you're always moving, always doing something, always active, always on the move, but then you get to the end of the day and you've wondered what it was you've been doing all day? Have you ever felt that? This, this direction, this movement, this spin in our life, yet we look and try to find out why we're doing it and we can't quite tell. That, that maybe there's things in our life that we've been doing over and over again and the only thing we can think of is why we're doing it is because we've always done it. Do we have this direction in our life but no purpose? And I think there's something in all of our lives where this is true. I think there's something in all of our lives where it's just this thing that we do over and over again and it lacks purpose, it lacks intention, but it's simply the thing that we do. Maybe it's an addiction in your life, maybe it's a vice, maybe it's something else, but there's this direction without purpose, and I want to invite you to consider something else this day, that we might be led by the Spirit. What would that look like in your life? If you gave that thing up, if you stopped doing that thing, and in fact were led by the Spirit instead, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next little while, what that looks like in our life. Because if we don't do this, if we're not led by the Spirit, then we can fall into something else. Uh, it's, in fact, what Mark Batterson, the writer of the book, If, calls the win-then trap. Win-then trap. And, and maybe you've done this before in your life. I, I know that I have. It's, it's this trap to believe that when something happens, then I'll do this. Right? You ever said that in your life? You know, when something happens, when you know, this event takes place, then I'll take care of all these other things I've been putting off. Right? Uh, it's in your sermon notes. There's a blank there for you to write what that is in your life. I have a few examples just to kind of get the conversation started. Uh, you know, maybe you've said this in your life. When I get that job or that promotion, then I'll spend more time with my family. You ever said this in your life? When I get that job or that promotion, then I'll spend more time with my family. That, you know, maybe these, you know, last few months or a few years have been spent, you know, missing dinner and missing bedtime, you know, and, and I've just got to work a little bit harder to get to that next step, to get to that next job. And then whenever I get there, then I can finally rest. It's a lie, friends. It's a lie. Or maybe you've used this one before. When I move into that house or that neighborhood, then we will be happy. When I, when I finally am able to get into this house, you know, because we've been really living on top of each other for the last several years, you know, we just, we haven't had enough space and, you know, this really just hasn't been cutting it out. And, and when we can finally get into just some bigger house somewhere out there, then we're going to be happier. Or, you know, as, as soon as I can move into that neighborhood, that neighborhood where all the nice people live, you know, I live around all the bad people, right? I live around the people who don't edge their lawn and, you know, who, who don't take care of their garden. I live by those people. And when I can move into that other neighborhood, then I'll really be happy, right? We, we've said this, friends. We've done this. We know what this is like. It's a trap, friends. It's a lie. Or maybe you said this one. When the children get older... When the children get older, then my marriage will get better. 
Friends, these things don't just happen on their own. You know, maybe this will take place. Maybe this will happen, but it doesn't happen without intent. It doesn't happen without purpose. These things don't just happen on their own. They take an effort. They take the Spirit of God working in us to actually make them come to fruition. That if we don't do these things, Paul says we are not living by the Spirit. When, when we live this wind-then trap, we are not living by the Spirit, but we follow the flesh and not the Spirit. We follow the flesh and not the Spirit. Now, throughout Romans, Paul, the writer who's writing to the early church in Rome, speaks a lot about the flesh. And, and just kind of a disclaimer here, uh, you know, when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about sex, right? He's simply talking about things that we can do on our own. He says if we just depend on what our physical bodies can do, if, if we just depend on our own will, on our own power, well, we'll die. We can't do it all on ourselves. In fact, we need something bigger. We need something greater than ourselves. And so he writes to the early church in Rome. He writes these words in Romans 8, uh, 13. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Can you imagine how the early readers must have heard those words? That we could be children of God. What we read throughout the Old Testament is a people who wander. Read in the book of Exodus how the Hebrew people were saved from slavery in Egypt. That God liberated them from slavery, making bricks day in and day out, and liberated them out of Egypt, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years till they came to the promised land, till they came to Canaan, where they were invited to go and take possession of the land. But even when they got into the land, they wandered. They wandered that when they got into the land, God gave them commandments, God gave them laws, God gave them codes, and yet still they strayed from it. They wandered from it. And they began to complain against God that they wanted kings, they wanted rulers, they wanted all of these things, and they continued to wander still. And even when God gave them those things, they didn't follow the rules they were given. And I wonder if they wandered for so long. I wonder if they wandered for so long because they believed that God was distant from them. We know that when they came to worship in the temple, that it looked a little bit like this. This is a replica of the temple in uh, the time of Jesus. Um, this space here is where most people would worship, and this large building here is called the Holy of Holies. It's the place they believed that God dwelt. They believed God's presence was in this place. And so they built large walls around it. And when they made a doorway, they would drape a veil in front of the doorway, this large, thick veil to keep the people out, to separate God's presence from everyone else. This is how distant they were from God. They couldn't even get close to the presence of God, for they feared they would die. 
And in fact, there was only one person who was allowed to ever go into the Holy of Holies. He was the high priest, and he could only go in one time a year to atone for the entire people of Israel. And he only had one chance to do it. And they felt this distance from God. And I believe that because they felt this kind of distance, they continued to wander. They continued to be aimless for the rest of their lives. Until God chose to come in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent his only son, the one who was the word made flesh. And he came and he taught and he spent time with the disciples and he healed and he performed miracles and he told parables and stories and he gathered followers and he did all of these things completely sinless. And he would be tried for crimes he didn't commit, and he would be crucified. Not for crimes that he committed, but for the sins of the world. And when Jesus would breathe his last breath on the cross, that veil that separated God from everyone else, that thick veil that meant that you couldn't even get near to God, that thick veil that represented this great chasm between us and the holy was torn in two. This was to represent what Christ did for the world. Friends, that Jesus bridged the gap. Jesus bridged the gap between us and God and allowed us to be called children of God. This is good news, friends. This is good news for what Christ has done for us. So not only can we be called children of God, but we can also be called siblings of Christ. We can call Christ our brother because he was the first son of God. And, and, and again, I think that's really good news because I think one of the best things about having a sibling is having hand-me-downs. Anybody else ever have those? Anybody else ever like really cool hand-me-downs from your older brother or sister? Some people are shaking their heads, no, none of those were any good. <laughs> I, I remember most of my siblings were much older than I was, and so I didn't have a lot of hand-me-downs from my siblings, so. But one time, I, I was in my older brother's room, and, and, and I was kind of meandering around, just kind of snooping, as younger brothers do, and, and, and I found a black white socks cap. It was this kind of old, raggedy cap that, that I had found. It was actually in the trash can. My brother had thrown it away, and I had picked it back out, and I said, what is this? He said, it's a, it's a white socks cap. I said, can I have it? And he, you know, he was going to throw it away. He said, yeah, sure. I didn't have the heart to tell him. I didn't even know who the White Sox were. I just thought it was a really cool hat. And for the next year or so, my mom couldn't get that hat away from me. I wore it everywhere, everywhere I could, and I had to cinch the back of it up really tight, and, 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 and the bill on it didn't really stay up all that well, and, and the, the corners were kind of ragged, and all of these things, but it was my brother's hat. It was my 
brothers had. It, it was his, and, and now it was mine. Friends, Christ is our brother. The Son of God, the one who was there at the very beginning when God created the entire world, that's our brother. He has everything, friends, and he gives it to us. He gives it to us. Just before he leaves the disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, he, he tells them this about the Holy Spirit. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. For all that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit will take what is Christ's, the entire world itself, salvation itself, and declare it and give it to us. This is the good news. This is what it means to have Christ as a brother. And this is what it means to follow the Spirit and to follow God. So not only can we call Christ our brother, not only can we be called children of God, but we get to call God Father. Paul says this in Romans 8, 15. He said, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. You have received a spirit of adoption that God has adopted us. God has taken us back into himself. And for that, we get to call God Abba, Father. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says that, it's adventurously expectant greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa. Papa, that throughout Jesus' ministry, that throughout his work in, in Galilee and surrounding countryside, that throughout his teaching, whenever he would go somewhere, he would constantly call God Abba. Abba, and most of the time we translate it as Father. But most scholars believe that it can be translated in this way, Papa or even Daddy. It's this familial, close kind of relationship. And Jesus says that because he shared this with God, because Jesus shared this kind of relationship with God, we too get to call God Father. Abba, Papa, Daddy. This is the kind of relationship that we can have with God. And can you imagine again how the first hearers would have understood this? They've understood God as distant. They've understood God as other, as far away, as not here, as not close. And here this man is calling God Father. It would be unheard of. As Jesus is performing his ministry, he comes uh, to a pool where uh, many people are believed to have been healed in. And, and, and so these paralytics and others would come and lay by the pool and, and they would hope that at some point they would be able to touch the water, maybe even get in the water themselves and they would be healed. And so Jesus, while he's performing his ministry, walks along and he comes to this one man that he's known has been here for many years. And he comes to the man and he asks him a question that really seems absurd, but he asks him the question, do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to be made well? And then responds, well, Jesus, you know, I've been lying here for some time now, and every time the water's stirred, every time we think we might be able to be healed by the water, somebody gets in in front of me, and so I really can't be made well. And, And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Finally, he tells the man, take up your mat and walk. And so he does. The man gets up, and he's healed, and he walks away. And, and, and many of the Jews and the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers begin to see this man, and they ask who has made him well, and finally they find out it's Jesus. And, 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 and they're trying to find some charges to trump up on Jesus, and what they remember is that it's the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. And there are many rules and laws about Sabbath day. In fact, you're not supposed to walk such a distance for fear that you might walk, and you surely can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. And so they begin to interrogate Jesus. We read about it in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Now, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things. He was healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, my father's still working. Right? This is the kind of relationship he has with God. He says, my father is still working, and I also am working. And it says that for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, thereby making himself equal to God. That this is the risk that Jesus ran by calling God Abba. This is the risk that Jesus ran by trying to give us this kind of relationship with God. That we might be able to follow a father. That we might be able to follow God through the Holy Spirit. That Jesus ran the risk of his very life just to call God Father. Friends, and this is what he gives to us. And so he encourages us to call upon him. And call him this kind of relationship. To call him this father. There were uh, two psychologists at Emory University. Uh, They found something kind of peculiar. They noticed uh, that they were seeing these children, children whom they knew and and talked to many different times, but these children who knew their family history, and they noticed that the more children knew their family history, the better grades they got. It was kind of this peculiar thing. It almost seemed like a coincidence at first, but, but they kept noticing this again and again, that the more children knew their family history, the better grades they got. And so finally, these two psychologists started to study these children. And they devised this this test, this 20-question test uh, about a child's family history. And they would ask them things like, uh, about your grandparents. Where did they meet? Where did they grow up? Tell us about your parents. What was their first job? And they started to ask these children these questions about their family history. And and what they found was simply true that that the more they knew about the history, the better grades they got. And they kept seeing this confirmed again and again and again. They performed this test in 2001. And just a few months later, the events of September 11th happened. And while both psychologists were completely shocked by these events and deeply moved, they realized now that they had a special opportunity. 
And so they went back to these students who knew a great deal about their family history. And they began to ask them more specific questions, not about their grades, but about their well-being and how they felt about the world around them. And they found that, that they were okay. That they were upset, of course, but here's what they found, that children who knew their family history overcome adversities due to their greater sense of control. These children, despite these events that have shaken the entire nation, they were more able to overcome these kind of adversities due to the sense they knew their family history. And they knew it in their entirety. Not just the good stories, right? Not just the good times and everything was going well, but they also knew the bad times. And they knew that their family had overcome many different things and now they had a greater sense of control over their lives. All because they knew their family. Friends, Christ tells us that no matter what can be found in your family history, whether addiction or abuse or wealth or poverty, despite who your mother and father are, we get to call God Abba. Father. Papa, Daddy, that we include in our family history the one who created the universe. And friends, that should give us the greatest sense of comfort, the greatest sense of control that can ever be found in this world. Friends, that's good news that we have God as Father. And so Paul says we are called to follow Him to follow him. I had kind of a, a, an extreme lesson in following over the last two weeks. As some of you may or may not know, uh, last Monday I just got back from England um, from what's called a Wesleyan pilgrimage. Uh, Path One, a global organization in the United Methodist Church uh, that deals in church planting, uh, sent me and several of my cohorts to England uh, to learn about a man named John Wesley. Uh, who was an Anglican priest, and he actually started uh, the United Methodist movement uh, there in England. And so I got to go to England with several of my peers uh, and get to learn and get to see these places that John Wesley has started, these churches and these foundations and all these different things that this man has done. It was an incredible event. It was an incredible time, but it was also an incredible lesson in following. Uh, that when I got there, I quickly uh, met a man uh, named uh, Craig Brown. Uh, this is Craig right here, and uh, Craig is the senior pastor at San Diego First United Methodist Church. And what I learned about Craig is that he has been on about eight different Wesleyan pilgrimages. In fact, he has led them all. And so Craig knew an incredible amount. Of everywhere we were, Craig knew exactly where to go and exactly what to do. And so I knew that whenever I got to England, my job was to follow Craig, right? You know, he knew where to go. He knew what to do. And all I had to do was stay close behind him. And so most of my trip looked a little bit like this. 
Just like the back of Craig's head right there. That's all I was supposed to do. Just stay right behind him and, and, and try to ignore like all of the distractions, right? Try to ignore everything else that's going on around me and just stay behind Craig. Just keep following Craig. But it, it was kind of difficult, to be honest. It was kind of difficult because, you know, if I would turn right around from this spot, if I would just turn 180 degrees, this is what I would see. This is Trafalgar Square, and uh, it's a really incredible place. Uh, this is the National Gallery, an incredible museum in London, and there are several national monuments just in this square alone. And just the extreme diversity in London was amazing. You could people watch for hours in that place. And so it was really easy to get distracted. And, and so there was this tendency, as we were moving, you know, just minute after minute, just constantly on the move, we could never stop. There was a tendency in me just to tell Craig, you know, no, go on ahead, right? I'll, I'll wait here. I'll, I'll be right here. And, you know, this place is pretty cool, and I'm just going to stay tight. But if I did that, Craig would move on, right? And so I had to stay close to Craig. And, and Craig would turn to us, and, and he would tell us that we were going to have some free time, right? We were going to have an opportunity to go and to roam a little bit for ourselves. And, uh, and what Craig would do is he would turn to us, and he would tell us, you know, these are the good places to go. You might want to go check out these places, and, you know, these are the not-so-good places to go. You might not want to go there. Uh, he would tell us, you know, if, if you wanted to go for coffee, you could, uh, but you need to be back by this time. And, and, and so we would go. I would go grab a few of my friends, and we would go and grab coffee. You know, we're all trying to get over jet lag. We're, we're all tired, and so we need something else to keep going, right? And, and so we would all get there. Uh, this is my friend Allison and Rich and Andrew, and, uh, and we would grab coffee. And we'd be there for about 45 minutes, and, and it'd be really great just sitting there talking with these friends, hearing about their ministry, what they're all doing. Uh, and, and then about 45 minutes later, I would just have just this kind of moment, I'd think, I have no idea where I'm supposed to be or when I'm supposed to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm in London. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I, I, don't, I don't know when I'm supposed to be there. But lucky for me, Allison was sitting across the table from me and she said, I was listening. I know where to go. Right? Thank God for Allison or I'd probably still be in England right now. It was good to have friends who were paying attention. And so I want to encourage you, friends. I want to encourage you this week to follow God through the Holy Spirit. To stay close behind God. To be right there with Him. And, and this looks like prayer. Uh, this looks like reading Scripture. That it might even look like fasting. This is, something did, this is something the early church did for a long time. They fasted, maybe from a meal, maybe for a day, that they might understand what God is trying to tell them, that we would do whatever it takes, friend, to follow God through the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you to, to follow God through the Holy Spirit, but not only that, to follow others who are following God. You know, I have, I have friends who are paying attention and thank God for them. I had friends who were paying attention, and it's because of them that I was able to have the experience that I had. And I told you a few weeks ago that um, I was in band, and, and I was really a pretty subpar musician. And, and what my band directors told me is that if I ever wanted to get really good at being a musician, 
I had to play with musicians who were better than me. Right? Maybe you've experienced this. They said that when you play with musicians who are better than you, then you start to get up to their level. I got to spend about a week and a half with really great pastors who were doing really great things, and I believe that they made my ministry better. I would encourage you, friends, to find people who are following God, who are close to God, and, and stay close to them so that there are times when you're not paying attention that they might be able to help guide you and lead you. Here's the thing, friends. Even if we do all of this perfect, even if we do all of this just right, there will still be pain. Paul finishes off the letter by saying these words in Romans 8. And when we cry, Abba, Father, is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children heirs, yes, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. Paul says that there will be suffering. That we could do everything right. We could follow all the steps we're supposed to, and just because we suffer doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. In fact, it may mean that we're doing it right. That when Jesus was led by the Spirit, he was led out into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Friends, we are called to follow God, and, and we may not find the direction we want. We may not find that we know this great map now. We know where everything leads and we know everything we're supposed to know. We may not find that direction we're looking for, friends. But we will find purpose. We will find purpose if we follow God through the Holy Spirit. Will you follow Him? I hope you will.